0: Today's podcast episode is with Katie St. Clair. Before I tell you what we talked about, I want to make sure that you know how to find the Female Fitness Alliance. So if you go to Katie's website, katiestclairfitness.com, really easily you're going to find katiestclairfitnesscom slash femalefitnessalliance, or you can click on the handy-dandy button. And what that will get you towards is an opportunity to be under the mentorship and guidance and leadership of some movers and shakers who are all female in the fitness industry. And so if you are a female trainer or a coach or just anybody in the fitness industry that has always wondered, where's my female mentorship at? There it is. So I don't want you to miss out. Um, now that I've gotten that out of the way, I wanna tell you about what we talked about. This wasn't your average fitness episode. We talked about infertility. We talked about being in the fitness industry as a female. We talked about gymnastics. We talked about being a mother. We talked about uh, feeling strong before pregnancy and feeling even stronger after pregnancy. And there was plenty of topics that we covered. So give it a listen, help me promote this. If you enjoy this episode, please share on social media. Um, Share it in your story and give me a tag so I know who's listening. Part of the battle of being a podcast host is you never know who's listening. So if you check it out, um, rate it on iTunes help me grow this podcast and get out to more more listeners because the more listeners that I have the higher likelihood that if I ask somebody to be on the podcast they give me a shot thank you for supporting the lifestyle chase and I hope that you enjoy this episode welcome to the lifestyle chase season two This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. So welcome to episode 124 of the lifestyle chase. I am joined by Katie St. Clair. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Handling life for sure right now. <laughs> Thank <laughs> so, you for having me on.
0: You betcha. Um we we talked a little bit off off air about like what's going on in your life right now. Paint a picture for the listeners. Um What's your week been like? Like, what kind of emotions have you gone through? What kind of obstacles have you had to face? Like, are you happy? Are you sad? What's happening?
1: This is so... um, The timing on this podcast is like no other. So it's really funny because this morning I sat down and I had to write an email to my entire list of people um, because I'm in mid-sales for my Empower Performance program. And it's literally the worst week of my life when I have to go into any sort of sales mode. I'm actually like t- petrified of like saying, Hey, you should buy this because it's great. <laughs> and I woke up this morning and I sat in front of my computer for three hours and I couldn't get the email written. It was like brain fog. Do you ever have those moments where you literally just shut down? Cause there's so much going on that you don't know how to like, just take the next step. And so what I'll say about this week is, and not just because of the sales of the program, but just a lot of things with life and COVID and having a kid at home and not having help. It's just the overwhelming anxiety of this time overall, plus doing something I personally am not very good at, (laughs) really highlighted the amount of, um, I think overall tension has existed over this time. So for me, this week has been a little bit difficult and I'm okay with saying that because I'm kind of one of those people that I, I can't hide it anyway. I kind of wear my emotions on my sleeve. Um, and also I just feel better when people tell me that, like I'm having a hard time too. So. To be real and honest in your podcast, that was my morning and it wasn't the best, but, um, but overall I feel very fortunate to even have people that are willing to sign up and want to work with me, so it's still a great thing.
0: So you, you talked about how it's like tough to, to do things that you're not good at, like with sales and stuff, and I think that's a common thread for a lot of people. But then the other thing is um, getting stuck in that attitude of like, I'm not good at it. Because then you almost rate it off altogether. Because like as mm-hmm. trainers, as anybody trying to develop, there's all kinds of things that we're not good at. And then all of a sudden yes. we avoid doing them because we're telling ourselves that we're not good at them. Has there been a, right. a time early in your career when you've had that like inner inner dialogue? And like, if so, how did you how did you overcome it?
1: Oh, for sure. And multiple times, you know, throughout my life. I mean, I've been a trainer for 22 years, so a lot of life lessons in there. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is I used other things in my life to challenge my insecurities and my ability to handle um, things that would scare me or I'd be fearful of. So basically, I would say that I try to seek out challenges that maybe don't have anything to do with my career. And I feel like if I become better in those areas and I push past like hurdles. So, for instance, um, a couple of years ago, I decided to try kiteboarding and it's petrifying. But it's almost like conquering that fear and going out and learning something new that was difficult for me actually helped me in other areas of my life. It's like if I can do this, then I can do this sort of. Um, so I think for me, it's always been find other things that don't necessarily relate to what you're trying to conquer and conquer those because it'll give you a sense of um, resiliency and a feeling that you can do, you can overcome and do different things.
0: Well, I think that's a great way to put it. It's like we almost need to feel a win in order to seek a win in in some matter of speaking. Yeah. So if, exactly. you, if you were to describe, like, let's say your LinkedIn profile, if, if you have one of those, just something that like basically lays out your, your career so far, accomplishments that you're particularly proud of, um, and you had to fit that into an elevator speech or elevator pitch, uh, what would that sound like?
1: Oh, God, <laughs> that's a hard question. So I think for me, it would sound, I would say that, the greatest thing I've ever done is become a mother. Um, and that taught me how to get over a lot of insecurities that I had in the field, which helped me become an educator and be able to put myself out there and say, you know what, I can do this. And I'm going to use this skill set that I have, which for me is an ability to really understand principle-based training and biomechanics and be able to speak to people in a way that makes them feel comfortable and want to learn. And for a long time, I didn't feel that way about myself. And there was something about pregnancy and having a child and the struggle that we went through with that, that allowed me to say, you know what, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm the best at it, if I know every single piece of information, because I never will. There are people I may be at this level and there's people below me that don't know any of this information and they could really utilize it and really enjoy learning from me. And then there are people up here who know so much more than me and I have to try to elevate and continue to learn myself. So what I would say is that the biggest career thing that has been impactful for me is getting over my own ego and allowing myself to be an educator and make mistakes and be a voice or a teacher that is, because I have a child, I'm a parent first and foremost, so I teach every single day. And it's really important to me that when I teach to people, they feel as if I would be there to answer any question. There's no stupid questions. There's no, you don't get it. You're dumb. I want everybody to feel safe and that I'm there to be a support too. And so I guess being a mother and then having that side of my business, sometimes I think correlate um because it's taught me so much about what it means to educate another human being
0: well i mean that's a very valuable point because like there there's a lot of i was thinking about this before we pressed record i was doing my morning routine and thinking about like why why is it that i learn things from female fitness professionals that i don't learn from male fitness professionals and then i was kind of thinking back to like okay like who who are my strong female role models and like one of them by default would be my mom and i was like okay like what did my mom teach me that my my dad didn't teach me and like my parents both teach me things but like my mom's brain just works differently um it's just you look into the intricacies of things and you look into um perhaps like time management like there's just so many different things like um uh, training style and just like the the outcomes become different and so it's just sometimes uh seeing that different style of brain seeing that different process can be extremely beneficial and like with with that being said that's why it's so important to me to to have people like you on the podcast because like I've I've interviewed a range of people some some female trainers athletic therapists stuff like that or just in conversations in day-to-day life when I'm talking to somebody who just like started training I'm like hey who do you look up to and like when I talk to a female and she's like oh I look up to Eric Cressy I'm like well yeah but I I look up to him too but like what kind of female fitness professionals do you look up to and then they're just dumbfounded like they just don't have a name and I'm like oh oh wow because like I know about people, but not everybody knows about people. And so with me talking about that, like what are your first thoughts with the with the fact that like there's there's girls starting out their career and they're they're looking up to like white bald guys like Eric Cressy, Jordan Sy, like those are awesome guys, but um there's so many other people to learn from because they're they're missing out on like half the the opportunities like what are your first thoughts when when i talk about that
1: well you're speaking straight to my heart (laughs) i literally created an entire fitness alliance called the female fitness alliance which you probably know about um and the intent behind that was that i've never had a female mentor in my entire life 22 years as a trainer i have never had a female mentor Uh, my gymnastics coach was male um my all of my coaches were in high school um all of my most of the people that i educate myself and like you said are white men and it's not intentional it's just that's what runs the field and you go to a conference and there's like a handful of women and so when i created the alliance it was i want to help people feel confident that, like I was saying earlier about the level of education, there's always someone who doesn't know as much as you. So I want to teach trainers how to feel confident in themselves with wherever their education level is at that moment. There is somebody that needs them to teach or needs to bounce ideas off them or that they can um, help. And so there's no reason we can't try to be educators, presenters, lecturers, Um, we can't have a seat at the round table because we feel, I think oftentimes as women, that we have to be at this like crazy high level in order to just do that. But what we don't realize is that a lot of those men, maybe they're not as up to date or current with the information they need to be current with. Maybe they're not thinking outside the box. Maybe they're just not, um, as fantastic as we think they are not, I'm, and no one in particular, I'm, all of the men that I learned from, I absolutely love or I wouldn't be learning from them. But I'm just saying, I think women tend to look at it like, oh, wow, they're like so far up here and I'm just down here and I could never do that. Um, so I think for me, it really is a passion of mine. It's why my program is female only. It's why I have the Female Fitness Alliance because there's eight, other, there's eight women involved and they're all taking a, a very big risk. Like some of them are, were frightened to speak to do their lecture and presentation but they did it anyway because they want to be that inspiring voice um for other women and kind of give them that like passion and drive in them that's like i can do this i can own my own business i can learn this material i can give a presentation to 800 women i can educate men and women you know and so for me it's it's something that needs to change, but we are the ones that have to change it. We can't walk around and be like, well, they didn't ask us to be in this you know, presentation or those guys didn't. It's not their fault. It's frankly our fault that we don't know how to elevate ourselves. And I wanna, as best I can, try to help women feel empowered to elevate themselves.
0: Well, I'm glad that you talked about the, the fitness alliance because coincidentally, I think I've sent like five people at least to look at the website. I mean, oh, um, good. for for about five months, I was doing daily podcast episodes. It got to the point where I felt that I was saturating my, my podcast feed. But during that time, I had a few listeners that were like listening to every episode. And then after a while, I was like, oh, if I promote something on here, people will go to it. And I was like, well, it's mostly females here. So I'm just going to promote the the female fitness alliance. And <laughs> and then uh, one of the listeners, like uh, she's a fitness enthusiast and she was like, yeah, I'm going to check it out. And I think it was one of like the informational sessions or, or one of like the, the video sessions that you did as a means to like promote it or get the word out there. But she checked it out and she was so excited. And I was like, oh, wow, like I could do this again. Like I could just start telling people to follow female fitness professionals. And so I told you about the guest that I had where it was like, oh, yeah, Eric Cressy. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me show you mm-hmm. some Instagram accounts to follow. I mean, like, again, yeah. I love Eric Cressy, but it's just like, let's broaden the spectrum. I mean, when I talk to yeah. Dean Guido, we talk about all kinds of different fitness professionals. And on that list is females. I mean, we're we're a couple dudes, but we, we can't belittle the fact that we're learning from females as well. And so I I think that's so cool and I think it's awesome that you have that alliance because in a sense it's like the most empowering thing ever it's like come join our alliance or like come learn from our alliance like it's like that gives you that feeling of like uh certainty or like reassurance that like you know what like no matter what life throws in this career you're going to be okay because you're surrounded by like a community of like movers and shakers Mm -hmm. um when it comes to assembling an alliance as it were what what's your uh what's your criteria or your guidance in like bringing those people together like what what do you look for what assembles people what brings them
1: um do you mean the other members who i reached out to, to yeah deal with me yeah like yeah. your
0: your other leaders
1: so i mean i think one a was that do i feel like i know this person well enough to know that their heart would be in it. Um, And so every person on there, I knew well enough that I could honestly say they're going to put forth their best effort, um, even if maybe it's uncomfortable or something they haven't done. Um, Two, I wanted women who aren't afraid to speak their minds and be honest, whether that be, you know, um, just calling out bullshit about, you know, the typical fitness influencers or um, actually being super vulnerable and honest about their own struggles in the industry and being a female. Um, There's so many different pieces to it, but I also wanted people from different areas of the profession. So strength coach, you know, physical therapy, nutrition, um, business owners, but mostly everybody on that, group has is their own business owner um so i felt like they no matter what if you've ever put yourself out there and been your own business it's shocking i mean because it is such a stressful and hard endeavor in the beginning and so just the fact that they had done that says speaks volumes to me you know or like if you look at michelle she's been in a man's world for uh, michelle boland who's amazing her presentation yesterday was excellent um, and she spoke a lot about this and how she's literally just been living in like a voice club and she's had clients. She referenced a um, client that came into the facility that she was working at and she was talking to him about what the facility could offer him. And he kind of looked around and she, he was like, well, who would I work with? And she was like, well, I could work with you. I'd be great. And he was like, why would I work with you if there's a bunch of other male trainers and kind of looked around and she was the only female and she was like, take it aback. Wow. Like, well, I'm the same as them. I have the same credentials, you know, and she actually did end up training him, which is great. She probably changed his perspective. But I think um, as a woman, it's hard to explain to a man or to somebody else how often that happens and how often in my career over 22 years that's just been the norm and it just is what it is and I have to pick myself up every time something like that happens and just be like move on the next person's going to want to work with me or you know whatever the situation is so um yeah did I answer your question oh yeah (laughs)
0: I mean This happens so often in a podcast, like I'll say one thing, the other person kind of talks about something they're passionate (laughs) about, and that's the purpose of a podcast. Um, it kind of led me to my next question. You talk about how like a female fitness professional can be in the situation where, um, they are meeting someone for the first time and then, uh, the other person's like no no I can't train with this person because they are a female like how can I as a male trainer or male coach um, be like a supporter of female trainers and coaches and help reduce that from happening
1: that's a really good question um, I don't know that it's it's on you to do that I guess, like it's very kind and I see what you're saying, but at the same time, there isn't, well, what you're doing is half of it. So you're bringing females onto your podcast and highlighting them to give your listeners a broader perspective of the human experience. So that's one. Two would just be, um, I guess, generally reaching out to females As your educator, so asking to be a part of females programs like signing up for my programs and or Michelle's whatever, um, as a way to support that person. Um, But overall, I really think it's on it's on us. Like as females, we have to dig in deep, even if it's hard and we don't feel like we have much of a voice now and say, how can we give ourselves that voice and be okay with that? And it's not just in fitness. This is in every aspect of um, life. I mean, women are not necessarily um, as equal in a lot of fields. It's not just fitness. So what can we do to let you know that we are good enough to be in those places and have those seats at the table? Um, I would just say for anybody, if it scares you and you're nervous about doing it, sign up and do it anyway and just get over it because what is life if it's not getting over hard things and trying to become better otherwise we're just stagnant and i just think for whatever reason it's become a little bit more norm for women not to push those boundaries but i think that's changing hugely i'm seeing it all over the place not just in fitness um so yeah
0: Well, that that's a good takeaway. And I mean, like, sometimes it just comes down to, like, just communicating more, more clearly. Because if I let's say I walked through life, and I was like, Yep, I've learned a whole bunch. Um, I've learned a whole bunch of stuff about fitness. But then if I communicate clearly, I'm like, I've learned a whole bunch of stuff about fitness. And I learned from this person, this person, this person, and this person, when I start to include Uh, female fitness professionals in that list and it happens often then all of a sudden it kind of changes the dialogue because like not everybody is going to care who I look up to but some people are and then as I do that and as I put that out on like social media or just say it out loud um, it kind of makes it a lot more comfortable for other people to like something a common uh, thread in my social media platforms is like if I feel like shit one day I tell everybody on the internet If I feel pretty good, I tell everybody on the internet, it's just like, if I'm struggling, then I just, I put it out there because like my, my belief is that, uh, by being transparent in that sense, um, the people who gravitate towards you, like they know what they're getting. Um, the people who want to support you have the equipment in order to support you. Like, let's say, uh, I was upset because I'll use a bizarre example. Let's say I was upset because I wanted ice cream. And nobody knew I wanted ice cream. Well, they can't help me because they don't know that I need ice cream. But if I say I am upset because I need ice cream and somebody's got ice cream, they can help me out. And like the the real life example would be such a good analogy. Yeah, it would be so much different. But then everybody can relate to that. Everybody can put themselves in that position. And so, yeah, like I agree with you. But at, at the same sense, me being vocal and talking and me um just like being specific as to like who do i learn from let me tell you it's a mixed bag there's a lot of diversity there's males there's females um there's new people there's veteran people um i'm learning from all kinds of different people and you should too and then in doing that uh hopefully i influence maybe like two or three people (laughs) and then it just goes from there (laughs) so that's awesome you've had a long and uh storied career so far um, I was listening to your episode with the guys at Rebel Performance, and they they got you talking a little bit about like your your younger athletic career, and I think they brought up gymnastics. Were you into gymnastics? Gymnastics at one point?
1: Yes, for many years, twelve years, um, very intensely, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, it. It definitely shaped me as an individual. I had somewhat of a rough childhood growing up and um, I used that as a way to create a safe place in the world for myself. Um, So it was like my home away from home, so to speak. And I was at the gym three and a half hours a day, I think from the age of like nine or 10, every single day until i was like 16 years old so that's a pretty huge commitment now that i you know when i look back um so it just gave me a safe place to land i was so lucky that i had that space um and i think it it built a lot of resiliency because there's a lot of mental blocks that can happen in that sport it takes a whole lot of um of just strength mentally i I can't really explain it but the when you get to a certain level the things that are required of you are so petrifying sometimes and you have to just you know put your nose to the grindstone and practice and practice and practice and then take some um calculated risks um with the exercises and so i think That in and of itself kind of helped shape me to be able to take the risks that I do now um, as an older adult and probably all sports in general. Because I played four varsity sports in high school. Um, I was just a really active child and um, I did some competitive wakeboarding. And so I just think sports in general is such a good lesson for everyone on how to be resilient and continue putting one foot in front of the other. Um, So, yeah. NASA was a huge part of my life. I actually like got out some, an old box the other day from our shed and I had my bag. So used to carry around these, like set your gym bag basically. And I opened it up and the smell was like so intense. It was the, like my grips were in there with the chalk all over them. And it just brought back like this flood of memories and good feelings just from a smell. And I thought, wow, that's really crazy how after, you know, 30 years, here I am like, whoa, been overcome with that feeling. And it was like a strange, comforting feeling. But I think we, we, we can underestimate how much what we did as a child can impact who we are now. Um, And so for me, gymnastics is a huge part of that. It's also part uh, has a lot to do with the way that I coach and my exercise selection and the way that I create exercises based on principles, because I may use a foundational principle, but I literally am fine with just coming up with any exercise I see fits. It doesn't have to be something I've ever seen anybody else do. And I'm going to use it if I think it works. And I think that's that gymnastics background of me being able to Feel certain things in my body because I used it so much in so many different movements and ways. So for what it's worth, I think it's very significant in my coaching.
0: Well, I think that's an important concept to to have or to, to embrace. I mean, a lot of times uh, we learn all these systems and like, I, I learn a new system every day. Like I open up my Instagram and I learn a new system, but like, um, when it comes (laughs) to, learning and stuff, we, we can get uh, frozen in fear of of trying to get so good at applying one particular system that all of a sudden we don't do, do anything. Or we're trying to like make uh, a round ball fit into like a, a square hole kind of thing. Like uh, we have so many different clients, different people that we work with, different communication styles, different anatomy. And if we're scared to just like throw the spaghetti at the fridge and see if it sticks, then somebody's missing out on something. And so I, I like that you said it out loud that sometimes you'll just try something a little bit new just to try it. Because I mean, I've I've had a lot of value in doing that. Like I, I'll i be the first to admit, I make all kinds of mistakes when I'm trying to like come up with what I'm gonna do with a client. But then I've also had lots of victories where it's like, oh wow, that was the coolest light bulb mo- moment ever. like. Um, I got my client to improve. Yes, and they're happy. Yeah. Score. Right. <laughs> <Ready. laughs> it's not as, as complicated as it has to be. Um,
1: right. When when, That's so about,
0: when when you talked about when uh, when you talked about gymnastics and safe space, I I want to know what defines a safe space for you. I can relate with so many different things that I've done in my life and how it just gives me that that comfort or that security. But I want to know, in your words or experiences, like what what made gymnastics give you that sense of feeling where you describe it as like like a safe space.
1: Well, um, I think having something you're good at. We all need to have something we're good at and be able to go back to that and do the thing we're good at because it provides validation for just who we are and knowing that. So like today, for example, I'm frustrated and I can't send an, a single stupid sales email because I'm so bad at it, or at least that's what my perception of it is, that I shut down and I'm, it causes so much anxiety or craziness in my brain, but I'm good at you know, movement. So movement for me whether that be gymnastics or whatever, was always like a feeling of I'm good at this and it makes me feel comfortable and it allows for me to, um, feel successful, which then allows me to feel calm. Um, and then the other aspect, especially within terms of gymnastics, was I just had a really good coach. I had a wonderful gymnastics coach and, um, he looked beyond like traditional training. We did Tai Chi, um, He talked about nutrition to us. We had massage therapists. So he really, especially for the time now, looking back, that's probably a little more normal. But when I was a gymnast, that was a little bit outside of the box to be thinking that way. He had us close our eyes and meditate. Every night we would go through our routines and our heads and really work on some mental clarity and focus. Um, And so I didn't know at the time because I was a kid, but those were skills that helped me. To become a better human, <laughs> not just a gymnast, right? Like, I wish I could go back and ask him how he knew to tell us that. Because I had another coach that didn't do any of that stuff. It was strict, and it was like, you do this, and if you fall off that beam, you're going to give me 50 push-ups when you get on the ground. When, as soon as you get down, yeah, it's crazy. And so there's very there's a lot of different ways that you can support people and challenge them. Um, and I'm just a big believer in lifting people up and giving them uh some sort of life skill that helps them overall and so yeah for me gymnastics especially with him as a coach um was just very comforting and safe you know
0: well i think it's super cool that like he went through things like meditation and kind of took like more of a holistic approach to it all because that's that's something that's still needed in the world today and especially in the middle of a pandemic like where people are going through stress that they've never gone through or they're um yeah. having self-realization that they didn't know that they could and sometimes as bad and sometimes as good but it's happening and so it's like people people need to have like the some kind of a, a safe space it's some semblance of normalcy to kind of like get through these times something to be like ah it's gonna be okay because like if we go through every day where it's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like the sky is falling. Well, that can't be good. Like if you compound that over time, that's going to be really, really bad. Um, When is a time and it could be recent and it could be midway through your career where that whole practice of like meditation, reflection, visualization or whatever you would define it as has been really valuable to you? Like when is a time that you've like really had to take that tool out of the toolbox and utilize it to the fullest?
1: i mean i think it's never not been valuable like in whatever form or fashion may not be directly meditating or whatever i'm using as a way to um de-stress i would say that this year has not just because of covid before covid has been particularly challenging because i've because my business has grown so much online kind of quickly and then what I did was I just started throwing myself into all of these projects, and sometimes that's coping strategy for me. It's like if I just keep going, then there's no time to like sit and and contemplate what could happen. I guess um, it's not always the best strategy. I'm not recommending it for everyone, but people ask me like, "How do you get so much done?" And in some ways, I think it's I'm doing that on purpose so that I don't have to stop and feel the the emotional anxiety of what's happening at this time um so i guess so what was the question that you just asked me so i don't get lost in translation no worries no worries trying to explain it
0: essentially when it came down to it we're just like trying to reflect on a time when like meditation reflection has been really helpful for you perhaps you're going through like a really tough tough moment or something like that
1: yeah i mean definitely when i was going through infertility because my husband and i struggled for years to have a child. And so that that was, I mean, and I had a therapist. And you know what's interesting is she would constantly talk to me about meditation and breathing and all of these things. But I don't think I ever embraced it the way I did until I started to get kind of deep down into a lot of the postural restoration stuff. And so at the same here it is, I mean it's breathing and it's positional breathing work, but What I found that as my body that was so out of balance was put more into balance or more symmetrical or whatever you want to say, using the positional breathing techniques, my whole nervous system calmed down. My gut issues cleared up. Um, Just overall, I was able to think clearer. And so there's definitely this huge correlation in my training system because how I, how I don't want to say asymmetrical, how Um, compressed or how flared my body is is usually directly correlated with my amount of stress Um, and then my amount of stress can be hugely limited based on the position of my body and so I've just seen this huge um, nervous system balance act that's happened over the past few years since I've been able to use that work. So even though she was telling me to meditate and do all this deep breathing stuff, it wasn't working for me very well because my system was so out of whack that my nervous system was on overdrive and I couldn't manage my emotions at all. It's like, I needed both. I needed to get my body back in order so I wasn't in so much pain because when you're in pain like that, it's just fight or flight all the time. And so
0: meditation
1: can almost be like stressful because you can't even get yourself to a place where you can meditate whereas now i my body's calmer because i've learned to reposition it and not have the pain so now when i meditate i get more out of it because i'm able to get to that place without stressing that i i, I like can't sit still you know because i'm always trying to get out of my body and get away from the uncomfortable pain from you know years of musculoskeletal uh <laughs> I guess, um, damage, you know, from sports.
0: Well, I mean, it's really important that you brought that up because like, I can talk about meditation with people all day long. I could just bring out all these different examples, but there's going to be people where that does nothing for them. And it's going to be frustrating for, for them to hear me talk about it. Um, Mm -hmm. so let's dive into what helped you with that revelation of, um, the other piece to the puzzle as it were.
1: Yeah, it it wasn't intentional. I went to a bunch of courses. I kind of got sucked down the rabbit hole of just wanting to learn because I thought, wow, this is so brilliant. This is the first time in my life that I've had relief from my own back and neck pain. And it took like a year for me to really start noticing it. And then I'll just, I never will forget. Like I was at the gym with my friend, Jill, who I work out with a lot. And there was like this day we were talking and I thought to myself, wow, my back and my neck haven't hurt. probably like six months and i have told so many people this but i went through like five years straight where i had to call in sick to work because i would not be able to get out of bed i literally couldn't stand up straight i was listed to one side or i could not turn my head and it was just chronic and so it was impacting my life for so many years And then on top of it, I felt guilty or felt like I wasn't a good trainer because if I can't fix myself, how am I going to help other people? And so I would like hide and never really say anything. I'd just be like, oh, I was just sick. But really, I was just like in a lot of pain because I had disc bulges and all kinds of stuff going on that just prevented me from moving well. And I just and I went to physical therapy and it just never got better. And so. Seeing that their system was so helpful in me um getting past that it just then i just went i'm all in what can i learn from every single human who possibly could be talking about these things you know and, so, and then i was like buying books reading articles you know following people like zach couples and going to be intensive with bill hartman and all of these things because i felt like this is really impactful and if i'm going to be the best trainer i possibly can then I need to know everything. Um,
0: so oh, <laughs> that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. You answered it really well. And you got me thinking like um, at this point where you're in all this pain, you're like calling and sick and you just like, you felt doomed. Um, did you ever kind of feel like there was no, no solution? Like that was just it. You are just throwing in the towel. You're going to be in pain for the rest of your life. Yeah.
1: I mean, Luckily, I'm married to a really amazing physical therapist. Um, and, you know, he was fairly new into the field whenever a lot of this was going on. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did feel that way. I felt like um, I felt sad because I it was an athletic person my whole life. And I went out. I remember one day I, I decided to join a tennis league. It was like a three five tennis league, something really, I, I was playing with like seven year old women it wasn't even hard. And, but I'm competitive and I got out there and was in the middle of a match. And I just heard my back like pop. And that was kind of the like last straw of, I can't do anything now. I'm not going to work out. I'm not going to lift heavy. I'm not going to try any of these extra sports. I'm just going to like go to the gym and do very safe sort of things. And stop doing all the things that I love. And that's kind of what happened for a while, for like four years, probably. And um, so that kind of leads into that. Then it was my infertility struggles that prevented me a lot because of all the hormonal um things that I had to take. And then, um, you know, I had a C-section. And so after my son, it was like, all right, I have nothing. I just had my... <laughs> abdomen cut open I you know am here with a baby who has colic and it was like I just had to function and make sure that child was fed and like that was it and I couldn't even think about my own physical struggles uh, and oddly enough this is really weird but I think because I had had so much pain and I've never taken pain meds um like I just can't tolerate them or I'm like concerned because I've always, I have a family history of addiction. And so I just always like worried that that would lead to something. And shockingly, and this is to speak to the whole pain mechanism. I, I did not have to take a single pain med after my C-section. I literally only took anti-inflammatories and I, and I didn't feel pain. I told my I don't feel pain. Why do I take it? And they were like, you need to get ahead of the pain. And I was like, what, what's, this isn't that much pain because I literally think my back and my neck were so bad for so long that I had built up this huge tolerance to pain that literally it didn't even bother me that I had a C-section. It was, it was the weirdest thing. And everybody kept saying you need to get ahead of it. The whole time I was like, I'm fine. And I didn't feel like terribly, like in pain, I was getting up, I was breastfeeding, I was doing everything fine. And, um, so the reason I brought that up is because I think that that is a really important thing. And it was a good lesson for me. And even though I went through that really hard time, and I almost gave up on myself, it did build something, it built tolerance to pain. And so afterwards, once, you know, I was like six weeks postpartum, I just went back to the gym, like super slow, I had a huge diastasis, um, which is just a tear in the linea Alba um, from my pregnancy. And I just decided that, you know what, I'm going to do like the simplest of simple exercises. I'm going to start from the beginning. And that was literally like when I, when I reached out to ask people, I got, I just put a message on Facebook and said, I don't want to take any of like the traditional continuing ed courses. I need something different. And that's when I started and I found PRI and kind of started going down the rabbit hole.
0: That's awesome. Um, Something that I like about this episode is we're talking about things specific to females in the sense that like, how many podcasts are you going to listen to where someone talks about like infertility or like a C-section or anything to do with like growing a family? And I think a lot of people that listen to my podcast are going to get some value out of that um, because there's going to be people that are like, oh, Well, now i would like to start a family and i've overcome or i've come across this this struggle and how am i going to get through this and if somebody like yourself doesn't talk about it um where where is the hope for that other person so let's say um you took the version of you that went through all of that all of that uh emotion and um just struggle and you had to give that person that version of you some advice, or some reassurance, or just some guidance or support. What would that What would that support look like or sound like?
1: Oh, that's hard. <laughs> um, yeah, I think just the best advice I could give to somebody else, you know, wanting to support somebody in um, a moment like that, is just never trying to fix. But always just listening. So being a listening ear, commiserating, and saying, "Oh my gosh, I know how you're feeling," you know, or I have no idea how you're feeling, but I can't even imagine what you're going through, and I'm here for you. If you just need to cry or talk, or you know, because I think sometimes as trainers we want to fix everything for people, um, and what people really just need is someone that says. You know I don't know what to tell you I but I'm here to listen and I can only imagine how hard this is and um so yeah just not trying to, to fix and that's also like a very male trait to like because I know if I cry my husband's like I don't know what to do with it <laughs> Right. <laughs> but as females that's why we have these like relationships with other women is we use each other as a support network to just kind of commiserate and say, Oh my God, I know exactly what you're talking about. Or yeah, I totally can see that. And so it, it, I think that might be more of a female trait. Um, but, and you know, that is not always true, of course. Um, so I think when someone's going through something really difficult, just never trying to, um, fix it, just listen.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think that's an important point. It's so true. Like dudes are always walking around trying to fix things. Oh, that's broken. Me fix. Like it's like, right,
1: right, right. (laughs) And
0: that's probably one of the most versatile lessons that I've learned as far as like continuing education. Nobody ever considers like listening skills as continuing education. I mean, not, not specifically. It's, you never see it on like the, if you go into a seminar, Oh, this seminar is going to be about like conscious listening and not fixing problems. Most of the seminars are about how to fix problems. Yeah, it's so
1: true, right?
0: (laughs) So I'm glad that you said it because it's kind of like in it's accountability check, if I go back and I listen to it, I'm like, okay, Chris, like um, stop trying to be the solution maker and just like um, help them amplify their emotion. Like if they're sad, just be sad with them. Just let them be sad. (laughs) Just let them Mm -hmm. ride it out. So I actually have like a client that will be having a baby. And so as she gets back into fitness, like what, what's the best guidance for someone getting it back into fitness? Like for me, like the, the approach that I would have is like, don't overcomplicate it, kind of take each day as it goes and do things that make you happy, but I'm a dude. So let's hear it from you.
1: Yeah. So I do think there needs to be more attention paid to this matter. Uh, my dad is an OBGYN um, and I bring him actually onto my program because I want him to get the perspective of what's actually happening to females um, and the surgical interventions that they use to manage things like you know, uh, prolapse or um, endometriosis or whatever is going on with females. Um, so I'm glad you asked this because I think it's really important and I think there needs to be kind of a, a two part approach or maybe three parts. So there needs to be like they're in that first six weeks of recovery where they're just rebuilding a foundation for even just moving safely, like carrying the baby in the car seat and, you know, being able to unload the dishwasher and not bearing down and, you know, creating a scenario that, because those are lifestyle things you have to do when you have a child, you have to carry them around. It's heavy. And then, transitioning from like that six weeks to like six months. And I believe that pretty much everyone, I wish I would have had it whenever I was postpartum, um, should have probably some sort of check-in with a with a physical therapist that's knowledgeable about these things. And there's so many more people or a trainer that's knowledgeable knowledgeable about postpartum and kind of how do we safely bring that person to a higher level of strength Um, while making sure that we don't create any pelvic floor dysfunction um, or we're looking out for any sort of diastasis signs. Um, And then the third would be now you're with your regular trainer or you've been with your regular trainer that's also been in that three-part step with you. And then that trainer is going, okay, I understand that the alignment of this person's pelvis and the alignment of their thorax is going to change how their pelvic floor can function. And so if we understand just kind of a baseline of position, which doesn't have to be knowing everything in the world, but just understanding how the pelvic diaphragm and the thoracic diaphragm work together, and just a little bit of education and knowledge on that can go such a long way. So then you know when you're working with that person, you can even know their cycle. Hey, you know, it's the third week of your cycle and you're about to menstruate. Your uterus is heavy. Maybe I don't put 200 pounds on your back because I could cause prolapse or maybe they're not lifting 200 pounds, but that could be 50 pounds for a person that's six months postpartum. And that could be a significant amount of load on a diaphragm that maybe isn't functioning the way it should. So all of those things, and that can get kind of complicated, come into play. And the real thing, the, the real important part of it is that we're working in in conjunction with physicians therapists and strength coaches so that's where it gets a little murky because there isn't a lot of overlap and there are people out there trying to create that overlap which is amazing and wonderful and it's one of the things i try to do as well Um, but it's something that we really need and so the the biggest thing i would say is just get some information somewhere on how to properly um manage the position of the skeletal system so that the diaphragm can work really well. So you don't end up um, preventing or you don't end up causing um, common things like prolapse or um, leaking or whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I love that answer and I'm lucky to work in a facility where like we're all contractors, but there's so many different professions and so many different scopes that we can totally like have that uh, line of thinking in which like when you need to refer out, you got like all kinds of different people, different personalities, different uh, experiences that you can totally make that happen quite smoothly. Um, Another side to this topic that I'll quickly ask you about is like, was there ever a time when you felt that you weren't going to feel that, that cool, confident feeling of strength again? Like just, you led up to motherhood, and you probably felt like a badass. Did you ever feel like you would never get back to feeling like a badass again? <laughs>
1: yeah, because leading up to motherhood, I could barely walk <laughs> so, I, so I mean it was you know that confounded it, but then I think it was just like that slow progression, and it's crazy. I look back now and i I just wonder like how did I get here how you know, whatever it was about the system and the way that I used it. And, um, I was somehow able to just rebuild my body to where now I feel stronger than I have in like, I mean, I feel stronger than I did at 20. It's bizarre. I'm 41 years old and I can do backflips and like all kinds of stuff, you know, and I just, I never thought that that I can walk on my hands. I never feel, I mean, I feel pain once in a while, but it's not like there's nothing I I can back or front squat 175 pounds. Like, well, probably not now since I haven't been in the gym very much lately, <laughs> not really used to it, but like, I think it's just a testament to how resilient the human body is. And if we take principles and we use them in our training, And then we progressively slowly load someone safely. There's, you know, we need some of this positional work, but we also just need like progressive load over time. And those two things combined can build a body that really, really, really works. And then you can get into other things where for me, I love biometrics. I love athletic movements. And I've just really embraced incorporating those back into my training Um, because although I'm 41 and I'm not doing a ton of sports, I do still move a lot. I love like last night we were just in the street playing basketball. Like I don't even want to worry about the fact that that might flare me up or you know what I mean? And so I think regardless of what you're doing, it's always important to have like a base of really good foundational movement with strength.
0: Well, I'm glad that you said that you felt strong now because I think a lot of people can kind of put themselves in the position of feeling like they're doomed there's no hope and it could even be with how people feel emotionally now in the time of uncertainty in COVID 19 like um gyms are closed so it's like oh we're doomed there's no hope but like there is hope i mean i always use the example of paypal or just all those different businesses that just popped out out of nowhere in financial crisis like It kind of depends on your attitude, your approach, and how much of a strong foundation you have. Like, if you are mentally resilient and you've got a lot of grit and um, you're tenacious in your approach to how you start your day and how you get through it, you're probably going to be okay. Like, one of the richest people is selling random stuff on the internet. So, like, if he can do it, anybody can do it. Like... Um, and I was like referring to Amazon. It's just like, who would have thought that Amazon would be this empire like 20 years ago? Who would have guessed that? (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And so to wrap things up, I'm going to have one final question for you. And that question is, if you could give a person a piece of advice on how to live their life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Oh, um. Don't be too hard on yourself and take risks and know that just be okay with failure and try things over and over again, even if they're not perfect and just try to find a little grace for yourself.
0: That's an awesome piece of advice. So thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it.
0: So your challenge for today's episode is I want you to really lean into something that you're awful at. So pick something that you're horrible at, and then do it. And be okay with failing. Be okay with completely screwing it up. But uh, tell me what that thing is in the comments. To hold yourself accountable. And it's kind of cool for me to get to see what everybody sucks at and what they're going to improve at on. Because maybe that'll inspire me or somebody else. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.